0: Uh, Lots of religions have rules about what you can and can't eat. Uh, During Lent, 40 days before Easter, many Christians don't eat meat. Although it's sort of stretched out now so that if you abstain from anything, like some Christians will not use the internet or won't drink coffee for 40 days. Uh, Around about the same time as Lent, Jews celebrate Passover. They remove all the yeast from their homes and they'll only eat unleavened bread. And uh, Jews will never eat pork. Uh, Muslims won't eat pork. Uh, They also won't drink alcohol, uh, and they'll only eat meat that's been uh, killed in a certain way. Uh, During Ramadan, they fast during the day, and then will feast at sunset. Uh, Hindus, many Hindus don't eat meat at all, but uh, specifically won't eat beef. Now, many people follow these food laws because they believe that's how they please God, how to be acceptable to God. But, of course, it's not just food. Every religion has a list of rules of other things that you have to do or not do for God to accept you, to be clean before Him. Pray in a certain direction a certain number of times a day. Burn a certain type of incense go on a pilgrimage to a certain place, pray a certain prayer hundreds of times, attend a religious ceremony as often as you can. But in today's passage, Jesus turns that whole history of religion upside down, or perhaps more correctly, inside out, because you see Jesus is not religious at all. Jesus is not religious at all. He says, God is not impressed by what you eat or don't eat. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah, who was talking about the Jews of his time, six centuries before Jesus. And here's what God thought of their religion. Verse 8, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. In Isaiah's time, The Jews, or certain Jews, said the right words, performed the right actions, but their hearts weren't in it. There wasn't a genuine devotion to God. And Jesus says it wasn't just the people of Isaiah's time, but that Isaiah actually prophesied about the people of Jesus' time. Those people honoured God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. And so their worship was in vain. It was a waste of time. It's shocking to think that well-meaning worshippers could be saying the right words, doing the right actions, but that none of it counts for anything. That all the effort was wasted. Not only worthless, but damaging, because Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now it's shocking because, well, that could be you. You? You're here this morning, you're saying words, you're doing actions, you're working hard to worship God, to be acceptable, clean, in a relationship with God, and yet it could all be a waste of time. So how can you be sure that's not you? Well, there's no more important question to answer. How can you, be make, how can you make sure you're not wasting your time when it comes to being clean before God? Well, let's begin by looking at what starts that conversation, that accusation, Uh, Jump back to verse 1. As Alex was uh, describing for us, some religious leaders notice that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And they want to know why. But they're not the hygiene police. Uh, This is about religion. It's about being ceremonially clean. Uh, All the other Jews would follow the traditions of the elders. Man-made rules about what you could and couldn't do. Things that made you clean and acceptable or made you unclean and unacceptable. They'd all do it, but they noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't. Rather than answer the question, Jesus points to some of their own rule-breaking. Not just breaking man's traditions, but God's commands, which are far worse. Uh, In verse 4, Jesus says, God commands you to honour your parents. Verse 5, but you say something different you say to someone, just vow to make your savings a gift devoted to God and then nothing else can claim it. And so when your elderly parents look to you for support, you can cry poor because it's a gift that you've already devoted to God. That was the advice these Pharisees were giving people. And when that happens, you stand up for the son or daughter, says Jesus. You say that's okay for them to treat their parents like that. That it's more important for them to keep the vow of their mouth than to look after their parent, to show the love they should have for their parent. Words are more important to you than a a genuine compassion for your dependent parents. That's Jesus' word of judgment on the Pharisees. They're making human tradition more important than God's commands. And so his judgment on them, verse 7, is that they're hypocrites. Here they are coming to Jesus, concerned about disciples not washing their hands, pretending they're defending God's honour, when actually they're doing the opposite. They're ignoring God's words. They're not honouring God. They're putting human authority above God. Uh, And so verse 8, Jesus applies Isaiah's uh, Isaiah's words to them. Their hearts are far from God. At their core, they're more interested in what people think rather than what God thinks. Uh, And Jesus doesn't want that sort of poison spreading. And so verse 10, he calls the crowd in closer and he says, listen, understand, what goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth that's what makes him unclean. He's explaining the Isaiah quote. The Pharisees had got it wrong. But they focused on being ritually clean on the outside, how you washed your hands and, and what you ate and what you touched. And they'd forgotten about what was on the inside. They'd forgotten the heart, a, a person's motivation and devotion and love. But that's what God notices. And that's what makes someone unclean. A bit further down, Jesus explains it some more. Verse 17, whatever you eat goes into your mouth and through your body. It doesn't do anything in terms of your standing before God. It it doesn't affect your heart. But verse 18, he says, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. These make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't make him unclean. It's the heart that matters, says Jesus. Your behaviour and your words and your desire, your nature comes from your heart. If your heart's unclean, everything that comes from your heart is unclean as well. Not just words, but actions and even motivations. It won't matter what you eat or how you wash your hands or what you touch. It's like having measles. Measles is caused by a virus. If you've got the virus in your body, it'll produce spots on your skin and you'll get sick. But you can't get better from measles by scrubbing the spots off or putting band-aids on them all. The symptoms come from the virus that's inside. You need to be cured of the virus. There's no good addressing the symptoms when the virus is what's causing them. And Jesus says that's what it's like with the human heart, with the human nature. It's sick. The human nature, the human heart is sick. It it, it produces all sorts of symptoms. Uh, Symptoms like actions of murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft. Symptoms like words, false testimony and slander. Symptoms like attitudes and desires, evil thoughts and Jealousy and greed and lust. You see, the Pharisees had a small God, a God who only cared about hand-washing and what was on the menu. But the reality, said Jesus, is he's a big God, a God over everything, a God whose interest goes a whole lot deeper and a whole lot broader than simply what you eat or touch. Obedience and uncleanness has suddenly become much bigger and more difficult. The Pharisees thought being clean before God was simple. Just wash your hands, just eat the right sort of food, don't touch this. But Jesus says the problem is far greater and being clean is far harder. And so if you're sitting there this morning and thinking you're okay with God because you come to church every week, or you read your Bible and pray, or because you put money in the collection, or because you sponsor a child, or because you're a good person, well, at least better than some other people, then think again, says Jesus. Jesus says your worship is in vain. Your worship is like putting band-aids on measles spots. It's useless for fixing the disease. Take a close look at your heart, at your nature, at your true nature, not the mask you put on when you come to church on Sunday. Take a close look at your true nature. Take take a look at the way impatience and anger oozes out of you so easily. At a traffic jam, a small injustice. When someone pushes in in front of you, or when your plans don't work out. Take a close look at how strong your jealousy is uh, for someone else's possessions, or job, or wife, or abilities. Notice how quick you are to retaliate when someone insults you or laughs at you, how strong your desire is to hurt. Take a look at your heart. Notice how selfish and lazy and stubborn you are to help when you see the desperate needs of people around you. How quick you are to come up with self-justifying excuses. Now all of that comes from a sinful, natural nature, from an unclean heart. You can't fix that. By washing your hands or eating clean food. You can't fix it by donating money or attending church every week. Unless you can clean up your heart, everything that comes out of you is unclean. It's a terrible problem. It's unbeatable because it's impossible to clean your own heart. It's even harder than giving yourself literal open heart surgery. You can't do that you're even less able to clean your own heart spiritually. And that's where Jesus leaves it. He's posed the problem but not provided the answer. He's described what makes someone unclean. He's he's described what can't make them clean. But he hasn't said what can clean a heart. And so as readers, we want to know the solution, don't we? We're asking the question, so what can I do to get a clean heart? I need a clean heart. How, how do I get one? Well, as we keep reading, Matthew answers, answers the question for us. The first section finishes with the problem of being unclean. The second section begins by describing Jesus moving into an area that's full of unclean things. From verse 21, he moves from Galilee into the Gentile, into a Gentile region, uh, an area filled with people that the Jews saw as unclean. He meets a Canaanite woman, a non-Jew. She didn't eat the right food, didn't wash her hands the right way. In fact, she didn't do anything the Jews said you needed to do to be clean. Now, that seems like a big problem to the Jews, but this woman's got even bigger things on her mind her daughter suffering terribly from demon possession. We we don't exactly know how that manifested itself, but she was suffering terribly. Like most mothers, she'll do almost anything to relieve the suffering of her kids. She comes to Jesus, she cries out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. She keeps crying out. Her pain is nearly as bad as the suffering of her daughter, if you think about it. For those of us who are parents, we know it's a terrible situation, isn't it? When your kids are in pain and you are helpless to do anything about it. When your baby is screaming and you just can't comfort her. When your child is in pain and you can't stop it. Parents will do anything. We are desperate completely helpless. That's fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't answer her? Time and again all around these verses we see Jesus seeing a need and He heals it. He sees a group of people and He heals them. He sees a need and He fixes it. But here He hears but doesn't. There's a test to be passed. There's a lesson to be learned. There's an example to be followed. She keeps shouting out. She won't stop. The disciples come up to Jesus, send her away, we're tired of the noise. Now, now they probably intend for Jesus to heal the daughter before they, he sends the mum away. They've never seen Jesus turn anyone away. That seems to make sense of what Jesus says next. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In, in other words, why do you want me to do something for her? I wasn't sent for her. In other words, my first audience is the Jews. They're the priority. I'm here to bring, them, bring the kingdom of God to them. They're to be a light for the Gentiles. I'm not here for the Gentiles just yet. It seems like the woman overhears. Rather than that discourage her and, and force her away, she comes even closer. She approaches Jesus kneels before him, Lord help me. Well now Jesus turns to the woman and he says a similar thing to what he says to the disciples but uses a picture or a metaphor instead. Verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. In any household you you feed the family first, the pets get the leftovers. Well, uh, unless it's Wendy's household and Wendy's dogs get the best of everything. But, uh, but normally, pets get leftovers. Uh, the children in the, the picture are the Jews and the, the dogs are the Gentiles. It's the Jews Jesus is ministering to. It's not meant as an insult. It sounds like an insult. It's just a question of priority. Jesus is testing her. What sort of obstacles is she willing to push through? How strong is her faith? How strong is her desire? And what's her reply? Verse 27 Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, I'm not pretending to be part of the family. I don't deserve a seat. I don't need bread. I'm happy with crumbs. Crumbs are enough. Crumbs from you will heal my daughter. Just give me crumbs. And Jesus loves it. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. As easy as saying the word, which shows that her faith was placed in the right object, not on herself and her own ability but on Jesus, a faith expressed in persistence and humility. She can't do it, only Jesus can, and she won't give up until he does. And there's the answer to the question Jesus left hanging in the previous section about what to do about an unclean heart. You can't fix your unclean heart. You can't make it clean. Your heart will always produce thoughts and actions that make you unclean. You can't, but Jesus can. Only Jesus has the power to clean your heart, to change your nature, give you the desire and the power, the ability to follow him, like we saw in the catechism question. Only Jesus can give you a heart that will produce the fruit of a clean heart. Jesus applauds the woman's faith. He doesn't mention her persistence or her humility or her ritual cleanness. It's her faith. Her faith is where it all must begin. It's her faith that God loves to see. Faith produces the fruit of persistence and humility. Faith begins on the inside and then works itself out. It's what the Pharisees got wrong. It's what lots of people today get wrong. Make sure that's not you. Don't focus on the externals. Don't focus on the behaviour. It begins with the heart. Don't focus on externals when you're looking at other people. And, and don't focus on externals when you're looking at yourself. When it comes to other people, don't assume, don't judge, don't write people off. Compared to the Pharisees, the Canaanite woman looked like she had nothing. No advantage at all. Wrong nationality, wrong religion, wrong lifestyle. And yet she was the one God praised. Woman, you have great faith. It was the religious leaders, the ones at the top of the tree, who got the rebuke. Hypocrites, hearts far from God, blind guides. What sort of people do you presume are far from God when you look at them, when you write them off? What socioeconomic class? What lifestyle choices? What income bracket? What academic qualification? What racial background? Don't assume. Don't look at the externals. Look at the heart. It's the heart that counts. Jesus can change any heart. And don't focus on externals when it comes to yourself. Don't trust your achievements. Don't trust your good intentions. Don't trust your lifestyle. Because if you do, you may be worshipping God in vain. Look to Jesus. Trust Him. Look to Him with gratitude and humility because it's only Jesus who has the power to heal and cleanse and deliver you. Only Jesus has the power to change your heart. That's the only thing that can make you clean before God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you helpless. Uh, For many of us, uh, you have washed us clean and we rejoice in that. May we continue to come before you in humility, in utter dependence. For those of us here who that hasn't happened yet we pray that you might help them to look to you in faith, to trust you, that you would give them a gift of a clean heart uh, of forgiveness and the ability to follow you and to love you and to produce the fruit that comes from that clean heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.